Yeah, I went to um, an art shop and I was uh, I I went to buy um, some gold ink because I wanted to uh, draw um, a sigil. And uh, there was this shop assistant, and it had like a really um, light energy. It's just like really easy. And I don't know, like it felt like if you know his energy was like really flowing, and as he was explaining about um, drawing with ink and the different things that um, you can draw and the texture of the ink, and I suppose um, it felt like. His heart, his energy was like free, but with some other people, I can just like really sense this um, closed off heart and like in this story, as if they don't feel any pain anymore, but then they can't feel anything else anyway. It was just um, something that I observed recently this is like um just like a reflection on a point that the story makes um i feel that um this um segment of the story which is story two about a girl and a boy has got just like loads of um symbolism and uh also like the flowers um and that when K um, is hit by the fragment of the mirror and it goes in his eye and then in his heart and then he doesn't love the flowers anymore and uh, is interested in these um, so-called flowers of ice because they look perfect and uh, this can be, you know, like perfectionism and maybe also um, when we think too much about things and we don't want to act because they might not be perfect or we are scared of um, the outcome of our actions and uh, obviously it is okay to be feeling like that and I feel like that quite a lot but I don't know, it just uh, is kind of a interesting uh, metaphor and also what struck me was the description of the um, of the woman of the ice queen when he sees her he says oh she's very very beautiful but in her eyes there was no rest or peace and uh, that also is quite interesting anyway um rest like always seems to be something else to do do this do that but sometimes just resting and um, I think it's quite hard to just rest and not do anything or not try to be this or that or achieve this and just go back to this kind of place where you're just um, enjoying or even just not even I mean just like looking around and resting Oh yeah, well, I suppose um, look within and feel, that is what I'm doing.
doing at the moment, um, stopping and feeling from within. And um, it's like a bit of a new experience <laughs> as so used to look out there, like, you know, social media and stuff like that, where you're just like looking and looking instead of getting in touch with uh, oneself. Uh, this is a, a quote that I saw that I thought it was um, really nice and is about flowers. And it says that we can be inspired by the wisdom of the sunflowers. They do not care what happens around them. Instead, they turn towards what is important, the source of light. Towards the end of this um, story, there's also a mention of the moon and the wolves. And it just reminds me of the moon tarot card. Uh, in Rider Waite Tarot that was um, illustrated by um, Pamela Coleman-Smith. But I've also got the Union Tarot here and um, it's uh, the moon card is described as the archetype of the deadly mother and it says, I'm just reading from the booklet, illusion, deception, dark dreams and changing moods, a test of the hero, maternal instinct, menstruation, childbirth, the home, the house, travel and change, rhythm, fantastic visions, welling up in the imagination, blind terror. And I suppose that's quite a good description for how the story, this part of the story ends as Kay is going to the house of the Snow Queen and uh, he doesn't really know what's going to happen to him. So I think this is quite a, quite a good um, description here from the Union Tarot. It seems to be related to the story in some way. And here it is. This is the, the second story in this fairy tale. And remember, there are going to be seven stories and... Um, I hope you enjoy it. Second story. A little boy and a little girl. In the big city, it was so crowded with houses and people that few found room for even a small garden and most people had to be content with a flower pot. But two poor children who lived there managed to have a garden that was a little bigger than a flower pot. These children were not brother and sister, but they loved each other just as much as if they had been. Their parents lived close to one another in the garrets of two adjoining houses where the roofs met and where the rain gutter ran between the two houses. Their two small windows faced each other. One had only to step across the rain gutter to go from window to window. In these windows the parents had a large box where they planted vegetables for their use and a little rose bush too. Each box had a bush which thrived to perfection. Then it occurred to the parents to put these boxes across the gutter where they were nearly reached from one window to the other and looked exactly like two walls of flowers. The pea plants hung down over the boxes and the rose bushes threw out long sprays that framed the windows and bent over towards each other. It was almost like a little triumphal arch of greenery and flowers. The boxes were very high and the children knew that they were not to climb about on them but they were often allowed to take their little stools out on the roof under the 
with roses, where they had a wonderful time playing together. Winter, of course, put an end to this pleasure. The windows often frosted over completely, but they would heat copper pennies on the stove and press these hot coins against the frost-coated glass. Then they had the finest of peepholes, as round as a ring, and behind them appeared a bright, friendly eye at each window. It was the little boy and the little girl who peeped out. His name was Kai and hers was Gerda. With one skip, they could join each other in summer, but to visit together in the winter time, they had to go all the way downstairs in the house and climb all the way upstairs in the other. Outside, the snow was whirling. See the white bees swarming, the old grandmother said. Do they have a queen bean too? For he knew that real bees have one. Yes, indeed, they do the grandmother said. She flies in the thick of the swarm. She is the biggest bee of all and can never stay quietly on the earth. But goes back again to the dark clouds. Many a wintry night she flies through the streets and peers in through the windows. Then they freeze over in a strange fashion as if they were covered with flowers. Oh yes, we've seen that, both the children said. And so they knew it was true. Can the Snow Queen come in here? The little girl asked. Well, let her come, cried the boy. I would put her in the hot stove and melt her. Grandmother stroked his head and told them other stories. That evening, when little Kay was at home and half ready for bed, he climbed on the chair by the window and looked out through the little peephole. A few snowflakes were falling, and the largest flake of all alighted on the edge of one of the flower boxes. This flake grew bigger and bigger, until at last it turned into a woman, who was dressed in the finest white gauze, which looked as if it had been made from millions of star-shaped flakes. She was beautiful, and she was graceful, but she was ice-shining, glittering ice. She was alive, for all that, and her eyes sparkled like two bright stars, but in them there was neither rest nor peace. She nodded toward the window and beckoned with her hand. The little boy was frightened, and as he jumped down from the chair, it seemed to him that a huge bird flew past the window. The next day was clear and cold. Then the snow thawed and springtime came. The green grass sprouted. Swallows made their nests. Windows were thrown open, and once again the children played in their little roof garden, high up in the rain gutter and top of the house. That summer, the roses bloomed their splendid best. The little girl had learned a hymn in which there was a line about roses that reminded her of their own flowers. She sang it to the little boy, and he sang it with her. The children held each other by the hand, kissed the roses, looked up at the Lord's clear sunshine, and spoke to it as if the Christ child were there. What glorious summer days those were, and how beautiful it was out under those fragrant rose bushes, which seemed as if they would never stop blooming. Kay and Gerda were looking at a picture book of birds and beasts one day, and it was then, just as the clock in the church tower was striking five that Kay cried, Oh 
Ouch! Something hurt my heart. And now I've got something in my eye. The little girl put her arm around his neck and he blinked his eye. No, she couldn't see anything in it. I think it's gone, he said, but it was not gone. It was one of those splinters of glass from the magic mirror. You remember the goblin's mirror, the one which made everything great and good that was reflected in it appear small and ugly, but which magnified all evil things until each blemish loomed large. Poor Kay, a fragment had pierced his heart as well. As soon it would turn into a lump of ice. The pain had stopped, but the glass was still there. Why should you be crying? he asked. It makes you look so ugly. There's nothing the matter with me. And suddenly it took it into his head to say, Look, this rose is all worm-eaten. Look, this one is crooked. And these roses, they are just as ugly as they can be. They look like the boxes they grown in. He gave the boxes a kick. Broke off both of the roses. Kay, what are you doing? The little girl cried. When he saw how it upset her, he broke off another rose and then leaped home through his own window, leaving dear little Garda all alone. Afterwards, when she brought out her picture book, he said it was fit only for babes in the cradle. And whenever grandmother told stories, he always broke in with a but. If he could manage it, it would steal behind her, perch a pair of spectacles on his nose and imitate her. He did this so cleverly that it made everybody laugh. And before long, he could mimic the walk and the talk of everyone who lived on that street. Everything that was odd or ugly about them, Kay could mimic so well that people said, that boy has surely got a good head on him. But it was the glass in his eye and the glass in his heart that made him tease even little Gerda, who loved him with all her soul. Now his games were very different from what they used to be. They became more sensible. When the snow was flying about one wintry day, he brought a large magnifying glass out of doors and spread the tail of his blue coat to let the snowflakes fall on it. Now look through the glass, he told Gerda. Each snowflake seemed much larger and looked like a magnificent flower of a ten-pointed star. It was marvellous to look at. Look how artistic, said Kay. They are much more interesting to look at than real flowers, for they are absolutely perfect. There isn't a flaw in them until they start melting. A little while later, Kay came down with his big gloves on his hands and his sled on his back. Right in Gerda's ear, he bawled out, I've been given permission to play in the big square where the other boys are. And away he ran. In the square, some of the more adventuresome boys would tie their little sleds on behind the farmer's carts to be pulled along for quite a distance. It was a wonderful sport. While the fun was at its height, a big sleigh drove up. It was painted entirely white and the driver wore a little shaggy fur cloak and a white shaggy cap. Then the snow began to fall so fast that the boy could not see his hands in front of him as they sped on. He suddenly let go the slack of the rope in his hands in order to get loose from the big sleigh, but it did no good. His little sled was tied on securely and they went like the wind. He gave a loud shout 
but nobody heard him. The snow whirled and the sleigh flew along. Every now and then it gave a jump, as if it were clearing hedges and ditches. The boy was terror-stricken. He tried to say his prayers, but all he could remember was his multiplication tables. The snowflakes got bigger and bigger, until they looked like big white hens. And all of a sudden, the curtain of snow parted, and the big sleigh stopped, and the driver stood up. The fur coat and the cap were made of snow, and it was a woman, tall and slender, and blinding white. She was the Snow Queen herself. We made good time, she said. Is it possible that you tremble from cold? Crawl under my bear coat. She took him up in the sleigh beside her, and as she wrapped the fur about him, he felt as if he was sinking into a snowdrift. Are you still cold? she asked, and kissed him on the forehead. Brrr! That kiss was colder than ice. He felt it right down to his heart, half of which was already an icy lump. He felt as if he were dying, but only for a moment. Then he felt quite comfortable and no longer noticed the cold. My sled! Don't forget my sled! It was the only thing he thought of. They tied it to one of the white hens, which flew along after them with the sled on its back. The Snow Queen kissed Kay once more, and then he forgot little Gerda and Grandmother and all the others at home. You won't get any more kisses now, she said, or else I should kiss you to death. Kay looked at her. She was so beautiful. A cleverer and prettier face he could not imagine. She no longer seemed to be made of ice, as she had seemed when she sat outside his window and beckoned to him. In his eyes, she was perfect. He told her how he could do mental arithmetic, even with fractions, and that he knew the size and population of all the countries. She kept on smiling and he began to be afraid that he did not know as much as he thought he did. He looked up at the great big space overhead as she flew with him high up on the black clouds, while the storm whistled and roared as if it were singing old ballads. They flew over forests and lakes, over many a land and sea. Below them the wind blew cold. Wolves howled and black crows screamed as they skimmed across the glittering snow. But up above the moon shone bright and large and on it Cade fixed his eyes throughout that long, long winter night. By day he slept at the feet of the Snow Queen.